What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And this week, I sit down with my in-laws, Shelly and Richard. Now, this past 4th of July weekend, Lindsay and I drove out to Arizona to spend time with them, where they recently moved to after living in Minnesota for almost 30 years. And yes, we took all of the necessary COVID precautions. If you couldn't tell by my wife, my in-laws are both white. Picture a Disney Channel mom and dad, and I think that gives you a picture of the Alquists. White, upper middle class family in the suburbs. And they both spent a majority of their lives in predominantly white spaces. So the conversations on race were non-existent, and they grew up in an era of I don't see color. Shelly, my mother-in-law, is a damn delight. She was a stay-at-home mom to Lindsay and my sister-in-law, Robin. She's super smart, hella funny, and has an incredibly infectious laugh. You'll hear it in the episode. Richard, my father-in-law, is just a really sweet man. He's an Air Force vet and soon-to-be-retired airline pilot. He's a kind and caring soul who loves his family dearly. In this conversation, I ask straight up their first impressions of me and what it was like meeting their daughter's black boyfriend. We discuss George Floyd and their growth in the conversation of diversity and inclusion and ways they are trying to become allies, as well as what they're doing to make this world a better place for Lynn's and I's imaginary kids. Now, my in-laws are really new to the conversation and they're still learning. The language is not fully there and they are definitely leaning into wanting to know more. So for those of you that are further along in your understanding, just respect their journey. All right, y'all, let's get into it. Obviously, I'm black and y'all are white. <laughs> yes, I see you, Jonathan. Really? I see you. I believe in you. Yo, so, um, I mean, me and Lindsay have been together for five years now. Gosh. Wow, that's um, something. Yeah, so what that's was it great. like? What was your first thought when Lindsay, I don't know if y'all, did Lindsay tell y'all I was black right away or did she just say, I'm dating this guy? This is how well, I'm I think she told us. She right told away. us, yeah, yeah, yeah you were black. Right. Oh, yeah, what was like did. your first thought when she told y'all that? I mean, I was just excited for her and happy and just, you know, it would yeah. be great to get to know Jonathan and mm. tell me what he's like and yeah. um, where's a picture of him? Yeah. <laughs> I stalked you on the Vanguard Insta- I remember staff. you telling me yes. that. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was happy for her, too. Um, I guess my first thought was relationships and marriage, if it leads to the ma- marriage, I mean, we're talking about your dating time, mm-hmm. are hard enough. Mm-hmm. Say nothing about throwing in a uh, a biracial aspect mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear those. The initial thoughts are like, y'all just wanted to get to know me. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get to know you, and uh, excited yeah. to hear Lindsay and what she thought. And yeah, yeah. We've talked to other friends and heard about other experiences. Uh, it's just been like so difficult, like so hard. Um, yeah. And I, I just have been so thankful. Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. like y'all accepted it, me like right away. I've just I've I've loved it. It's That's good so to fun. hear. Yeah. Yeah, that is good to hear, Jonathan. Yeah. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In regards to race, how do you think your perspectives have changed over the past few years since me and Lindsay have gotten together? Oh wow. Um, just been more aware of my privilege as a white person mm. and how that kind of oppress people of color 
and just the whole our whole American history. It's opened up like I want to know the truth, mm. and I want to support you and Lindsay, and if you have kids, I just want to know everything. <laughs> To support you and yeah. like you have I want you to have as much freedom as the next person mm-hmm. and I just value that mm-hmm. in in others and it, it's yeah so it's expanded and I can't wait to learn more Jonathan mm-hmm. with history um, the American history that I had mm-hmm. not the full story yeah. and I'm learning it now and I'm 59 years old mm-hmm. and it's just so helpful to have a comprehensive view of our American history, of our church history, and not be silent about it. Yeah. Talk about it and support you. Support people that are oppressed. Yeah. And give them the freedom that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When we talk about perspective, I guess uh, I can't talk about perspective unless I bring in weather because weather is big for me as an air force and airline pilot for almost 40 years absolutely there's this thing about weather called cavu c-a-v-u mm. uh, pilots love to hear it because it means ceiling and visibility unlimited mm. so rather than um the message translation has a verse in scripture that i love about uh, peering through uh, a fog or squinting through a fog, peering through a mist, pretty soon the weather will clear and the sun will shine bright. We don't see it all clearly yet. There's just so much that I've been looking through a fog. Maybe maybe the perspective of, of how God sees, sees us and sees you and me and everyone. Um, our worth is just unbelievable. I mean... That's how my perspective has changed, and maybe uh, the fact that my daughter married a black man and the fact that I had my own health challenges, Mm -hmm. all this was tied up in my perspective. Mm -hmm. In particular, the last two months have been almost like an an awakening, like people are Mm. getting woke, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. Kind of what has been some of the things that have taken you aback or like you've been more awake to or more aware of in particular the last couple months that you were like I had no clue no idea mm, mm. no clue and no well, idea well Shelley thinks I'll, I'll mention Colin Kaepernick mm, mm, um, mm. when he used to kneel being a, a, a military man I thought he was disrespecting the flag mm-hmm. and I was confusing love of country and patriotism with something else I mean it had nothing now I can see clearly that it had nothing to do with disrespecting the flag mm. it had everything to do with the systemic racism that's around in our country mm. wow. okay so I'm not even really going to address Colin Kaepernick kneeling because it's ludicrous the amount of criticism he received and even more absurd that he doesn't have a spot in the NFL I mean seriously don't at me he is good enough to play some dude named Blaine Gabbert started a couple seasons ago. Anyways, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. That's a quote by James Baldwin. Listen, America, with all its flaws and hidden secrets, was built with the beautiful ideas of freedom of speech. 
to speak your mind, to stand up for what you believe in, and to be able to do so freely. These are the foundations of our society. Obviously, there are caveats to that, i.e. racist stuff, homophobic stuff, misogynist stuff. Anyways, the point is, America can do better. America must be better, and that is why we critique. That is why we must hold this country and its institutions and systems accountable to critique and to call for justice and the righteous treatment of others. It's not disrespectful. It's actually one of the most American things you could do. Yeah, I think I've become more aware of systemic racism, and racism is just not an individual act, Mm -hmm. but it involves systems that have been in place since the founding of our country, Mm -hmm. and how people really don't acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. and now that, like you said, people are becoming woke, like I think they're seeing that also, like it has been so evident for 400 plus years. Mm You know, how can we cling on to something to change the systems, if you will, dismantle racism? And it just makes me more aware that I need to read, I need to educate myself, I need to acknowledge, I need to have conversation, Mm -hmm. and I need to vote. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big one. To change, you know what? Yeah. Um, So, yes, it's just like we all have a part to play. Mm And, you know, I'm one person. What can I do? And I just think I need to influence my sphere of influence, whether it's, you know, a woman's group or Richard and I are in a couple's group, but just pressing the issue. It's prominent. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just, like, so engaged with all of this. I just want to read and understand and learn. Yeah, you're totally right, Jonathan, about the... uh everyone being more awake mm-hmm. I mean the, the blinders falling off um, I, I feel like uh, I was in denial for a, a long time most of my life mm-hmm. and it wasn't entirely my fault you know I grew up with a World War II uh, father and right into the military and mm-hmm. everything was superficial on the outside you had to have uh, you know underwear folded over and on cardboard on the top but wrinkled stuff in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you open the drawer, you see a nice, uh, you know, exact size and yeah. nice and anyway. Um, so denial. I also share your your pain um, without having a a black son-in-law. I don't think I realized how how much pain you go through, mm. and uh, I wasn't aware of the pain that you had. Yeah, when Richard mentions that, I do think of the trauma that you've experienced and black people have experienced in our country, and that just, talk about being vulnerable. I, I would like want to hear your story. Mm-hmm. I want to hear other people's story and get to the heart of the issue mm-hmm. and the root and give your voice prominence Yeah, that it deserves. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. just like... All right, black leaders, let's go. <laughs> I'm ready to follow. All right, come on, let's go. We need to listen to these people. Yeah. You so white people, take a back seat. Yeah. Me included. Yes. <laughs> no, I appreciate y'all saying that. I think, uh, well, Richard, I know me and you have had a lot more conversations about this, and, and some of the conversations you've even had over the past few years, uh, 
that have kind of taken me aback. You've had a lot of conversations with folks and had to correct a lot of folks of like, no, this is actually not the experience <laughs> that my son-in-law has had. That's um, right. Yeah, can y'all tell me a little bit more about what has the conversations been like? Because I am obviously, as a black person, not privy to those. What have the conversations been like with well, the people in your Well, circles? sometimes you just want to shake some of your white friends who don't have a clue. They're mm. clueless. And, and maybe it takes a, a, a son-in-law who you love um, to, to show you what, what that's like. Mm. I, I don't know. And maybe that's why they don't understand. Mm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think talking with some of my friends, I think I'm so thankful that you're in our family, Jonathan, because when it hits you at a personal level, mm -hmm. I think you start to see what you wouldn't see otherwise. Yeah. You know, when the Ahmad Aubrey case happened, mm -hmm. immediately, I, I just, I thought of you. Mm. Like, that could be my son-in-law. Like, I think of you as, as blood, like our family. Mm -hmm. And I thought of the mother's heart, and I'm just like, this is happening so much. It opened my eyes to how much it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and then talking with my friends, and they're just like, well, I don't see color. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> please, I'm colorblind. You are not. God gave you two eyes. What do you see? <laughs> I, I just get so frustrated. And I know their heart. Maybe they yeah. have good intentions. Mm -hmm. But if they talked to you, they wouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we need to understand both sides. Mm -hmm. So these are the conversations. Like, I'll hear my white friend's side. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to think of a specific example. But th that colorblind one comes up so often, Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. And it just breaks oh my, my heart. Yeah. I've gotten an inside view on white people just being in this family now. And uh, the conversations compared to, like, with my family, it's, like, we joke about race, we talk about race, we talk about um, politics all the time. Like, and I've said this before, like, being black is political. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because it's just... It is. Everything that we do, everything that we don't do, everything that we're able... Like, buying a home to, like, a rela relationships, all these different things... There's so many layers to it um, that I cannot live my life without like talking about race. Right. Okay. Uh, I made a joke to Lynn at the very beginning of when we were together. Um, it was like a, a race joke, and she like just got so offended. And I'm just like, what? I was like, it was just a very plain. It was a very plain joke. I was like, you're talking so proper. Like you're talking so white right now. She got so mad. <laughs> So what mad. did she say? She was just so mad. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, whoa. White okay. fragility? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like white people are not used to talking about race. And so like right. that colorblind thing is so prevalent. No, like you're white. I'm black. Like that's, that's it's a real thing. And so that has implications on how we live our everyday lives. Right. Um, and I, I've known that all of my life. Right. Well, it seems yeah. like you can't not talk about it. Yeah. It's part of who you are mm -hmm. and your experience yeah. and how yeah. you've experienced a black person living in a white supremacist environment. I was just thinking about uh, white people walking on eggshells around black people. Mm. Mm. You know, um, sometimes they are uh, worried that they'll say the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, so from that aspect, it... I, I don't know what the question was, John. No, 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 please keep going, uh, keep going, yeah. That, that's 
all I thought. No, that's a really good point. And even to touch on that, just because I talk about it all the time doesn't mean I make mistakes, but I, I think that's the the difference, though, that I've seen. It's like, And there is a hesitancy because you don't want to offend or right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, make anybody feel uncomfortable, but it's, it is what it is. Well, I've always appreciated the conversations that y'all have had. I know just being in proximity means a whole lot. Um, being in a relationship with folks means a whole lot. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've always been, like, proud to say, like, oh, my in-laws, like, they're fighting for me already. Just, just like, no, that's not the experience my son in laws having. Or, actually, no, you should, be, you should be careful, like, if you need anything, hit me up, or anything like that. Well, that's great. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. I, I'm glad. Um, and just all these resources, like, Lindsay sent me resources, and then my friends will ask me, well, what can I read mm-hmm. or be educated on? And I just forward it on. <laughs> I just, yeah. Yeah, we but, want to fight for you, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes it, it's very exhausting because mm-hmm. people just don't understand. And yeah. the blinders haven't come off. Yeah. 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 I can only imagine, like, even being <clears throat> from white. Minnesota. Uh, I was going to say white, white, white is, soda, yeah. but <laughs> Minnesota. But white yeah. is soda. Yeah. yeah. Wonder Bread Land. Yeah. Um, it, it is hard. It's challenging. But it's so worth the fight. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting to hear that you were scared, almost scared the first time you came to Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Coming to Arizona, I'm like, all right, where's my insurance? Where's my Where's my license? Where's my uh, registration for my car? And I'm like planning out, like if I get pulled over, knowing exactly where that's at. Telling if I'm driving alone, all right, I need to have that ready to grab. Or like mm-hmm. I need to tell like Lens, Lens, you need to go ahead and grab that right now as I'm pulling over. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna have this ready to go. Because we're in Arizona right now, I'm like, this is very red state. <laughs> so, right. Um, so, well, it's so real yeah. for you that you have to think about all of that mm-hmm. where a white person would not. Yeah. And it, it's scary for me as a father-in-law to know that you're in danger mm-hmm. if you get pulled over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we think about that all the time. I mean, we pray for your protection every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Um, what, did you, what did you not understand before now? and you understand now? I think, um, like, maybe bias in the classroom. Like, teachers, I think, are trained to, like, a discipline issue. Mm -hmm. Like, they will pick out black people first before white people for doing something wrong, if Mm -hmm. you will. Yeah. This is deeply rooted mm-hmm. in their training, like a bias. What do you call that? Yeah, yeah, implicit bias. bias. Yeah. Um, so that to me was very eye-opening to know that you go in with this certain prejudice or discrimination without even knowing it. Hey, so my mom and I actually talked about this pretty in-depthly in a few episodes back. You could check out Raising Kings for a deeper dive on this. But the short version is this. Racial inequality in schools is a real problem. Black males make up a disproportionate percentage of students who are in special education, alternative schools, and remedial classes. This is due to a wide variety of reasons. Biases from both teachers and police, overcrowded schools, lack of adequate school funding, poor legislative policies that create external negative forces impacting students in marginalized communities, the list goes on. Like, wow. It makes me sad. I guess I'm more aware of just my surroundings of everything because the way I grew up uh, in white land, wonderland, wonderbread land, 
Um, I was never taught about any black history or anything. So having a black son-in-law, and eventually, I mean, eventually me and Lynn are going to have kids, so y'all going to have um, biracial grandchildren. Do you feel that it's your role to play to make sure that they can have like the same opportunities and all that? Um, I mean, even as Lynn's did growing up and Robin did growing up. Oh, totally. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Everything <laughs> and more. Yeah. Yes. I, I just want to confront as many white people that don't have the blinders off yet mm -hmm. as possible um, before you guys have kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and even in, in educating, um, you know, say we have biracial grandkids, like mm -hmm. educating them from pre-K all the way through or whatever age appropriateness on anti-racism like mm -hmm. they need to know they need to yeah. know their full history and mm -hmm. their and whites uh, everything mm -hmm. like that is just so yeah valuable yeah absolutely. they, they got to have it so I'm ready to get the anti-racist baby book all right <laughs> yo so quick plug for dr. Ibram Kendi he wrote how to be an anti-racist he's also professor, founding director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research, and historian. He wrote a, another book, and it's called Anti-Racist Baby. It's a children's book. It's about taking the first step with Anti-Racist Baby, or rather, follow Anti-Racist Baby's nine easy steps for building a more equitable world. This is not a sponsored post. I just want folks to be anti-racist. All right, back to the conversation. children's books like famous um persons of color throughout history right and just yes. like having those books available and she's like oh i'll just save this on instagram I'm like why don't you just buy the book and then we just hold on to it we just put it in our garage because i mean i'm sure there's going to still be available but like if you like it now just get it you know yeah um i'm thinking, thinking about too. kids. yeah we're not thinking about having kids anytime soon just that why but okay. uh it's just so it's just so interesting because we want to do that too just like expose them around but what books are we reading them what are we what are we teaching them and sharing them about both sides of them? Because they're going to have an experience that neither myself or Lynn's are going to be able to communicate at all, like being a biracial person. That is so uh -huh. challenging yeah. to think about. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Our kids will have more in common with me than with Lynn's, but at the same time, like I'm still not going to have, I have no idea, no idea what that's going to be like for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. That, that's why I go back to uh, marriage and relationships are hard enough. Mm -hmm. by themselves but then you throw in that biracial or uh, interracial uh, with, with kids and everything else I mean it's it's a tremendous challenge yeah absolutely um, but one that you're up for we are up for it yeah. I just get nervous Definitely I just get nervous thinking about it <laughs> and that, hopefully that will become more if you will normative yes yeah. Yeah. you know as you look at statistics and mm -hmm. stuff it's going to be um, whites will be the minority mm -hmm. And these biracial kids, well, there's going to be a lot of those. Yeah, if anyone's up for the challenge, Jonathan, it's you and Lindsay. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're uh, equipped. Yeah. <laughs> Every day, so, we'll keep praying. I know, seriously. Please, <laughs> we, 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 we at least try. Like, and these are conversations that we have pretty consistently. Um, like, even earlier today, we're like, oh, man, our kids are going to have, like, uber curly hair. And I, just super curly hair. And Lindsay's like, I really need to learn how to do... I'll need to learn how to do their hair. So she practices on my hair, you know? Um, and uh, even though our kids are probably going to have darker skin, we need to, you know, they're st still going to need to put sunscreen on, but 
probably not yeah. as much as lens <laughs> right. does. Right. All these different things. So these are things that we think about pretty consistently. Yeah. Well, let me ask this question. So for being even the idea of being grandparents, have y'all thought about that at all? I mean, I this is just a random. That's question, scary but. for us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y'all are still young and spry, so I mean. <laughs> I thought, I'm like, I can't wait. So, you know, whenever you get on it, it's good. You and my mom both shoot. <laughs> I can't wait. My mom's ready now. I'm like, Mom, you're still really young. I, you can you can hold your horses on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, um, grandkids would be so exciting. I mean, I... Yes. Yeah. Everyone talks about them uh, being such a blessing, having grandkids. So, I mean, it would be a tremendous blessing. Yeah, well... I'm curious. Do y'all have anything, anything that, that has ever like come like question like this would be a great time for y'all to ask. Me ask you questions. Yeah. Go ahead yeah. And ask me stuff. Yeah. yeah. How would you like to remember Fourth of July, or what does it mean to you as a black person in America? What from what I know about Fourth of July, I know about from school. You know, my, my family didn't sit down and talk, or we didn't fly an American flag or anything like that. Um, it was just a holiday that we barbecued. I'm like, that's what I remember. We barbecued mm-hmm. on the 4th of July. But it, it and maybe, and I don't want to, like, try and switch up just because, like, I'm so much more aware now. But I think in recent years, it has definitely felt just off. Like, it didn't, it never, it's never really felt like, what freedom. it means to other people, you know, like, it, it just, it, it, yeah, freedom, it, it never really felt like Freedom Day or anything like that, you know, on Juneteenth, I say Happy Freedom Day, yes. you know, um, yes. but, like, today just feels like every, any other day, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's not, it just feels off to me, yeah, it just feel. it's always felt off to me, yeah. yeah, well, it's not freedom for people that have been oppressed for, mm. 400 years so it's could be a day in mourning yeah absolutely yeah it just blows my mind like how I learned all of this history and I would sit in class and um it would just not feel right like all the history yeah. that we're learning it just doesn't ne- it never felt right or full um especially around like the 4th of July so yeah, learning yeah. history do you feel like how would you like to see it differently taught yeah I think confronting darkness that is like those those parts that we don't like to talk about yeah um, in our American history what I've seen in in white culture is that there are taboo topics that you just don't talk about and you avoid uh, and I'm not gonna front for anybody you know if you offend me I'm gonna let you know or I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know hey like this is actually how you should probably talk to me in education what I've seen is that there is just this avoidance to talk about and confront the difficult parts of history right because yeah. it's um, uncomfortable it's yeah. unfamiliar I didn't yeah. learn this and that's where we need yeah. to go it's funny how we'll spend so much time talking about slavery and then jump to the civil rights movement but we don't spend a lot of time talking about Jim Crow what are the things that led up to the civil rights movement because there was a lot um, people just weren't angry and started marching around and sitting on counters and, and were willing to literally die, so not for the, just the right to vote again, for that to be protected, but for just humanity, for just simple, basic rights. You talk about slavery, skip over to civil rights, and then we're all good. Yeah. And that's not true. It's it's just simply not true. So yeah. just the confronting the dark parts of our American history. Yes, yeah. amen to that. Yeah. Confronting the dark parts, that reminds me of uh, 
the military bases, you know, that are named after mm. slave owners. It, yeah. Uh, it's unthinkable to me. I, yeah. I've been to most of those bases, but now I can see clearly that, mm. that they should be renamed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And let me ask you this, Richard, because you come from a military background. I think it is so crazy that uh, there are statues, there's uh, military bases, there are stadiums named after Confederate people, like traitors, literal traitors. What is happens to like a traitor in the military? Like, if somebody's like to to be a traitor of the U.S., like what what happens to that person? Or, or a traitor to... gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's statues of traitors? Yeah. Like, what is that so messed up? It's just, I just don't understand. I just am so confused. There is a, uh, a delicate balance of, we don't want to entirely dismantle our history. Yes. It's our history, too. Yeah. But um, by the same token, we don't want to have a monument to slavery. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know where the balance comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, like Jonathan said, confronting the, the dark parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, the whole thing, the whole picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, go ahead. Confronting go ahead. some of the dark parts uh, almost means uh, dismantling some of, the, some of our history. Mm -hmm. um, mm. You know? But I, I don't want to. I don't want to apologize for being white. Yes. No. But no. Um, there's a difference between feeling bad and saying I am bad. And yes. Some somehow we need to uh, figure that out. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff now, makes me feel terribly bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now a word from our resident white expert, Lynn's Taylor. Okay. My dad is processing this in real time as he's talking with Jonathan. He talks here about dismantling history. However, white people have been doing that for years when they talk about the history of the United States. And as a result, the history we learn in school is taught from a white or Anglo-centric perspective. I believe what my dad is trying to communicate here is the fact that we must dismantle white supremacy in our history and in our everyday lives so that we can understand the ways that white supremacy caused the dark parts of our history and continues to perpetuate racism in our society. If we're not honest about our American history, we'll never learn about the oppression and marginalization people of color have had to endure and still endure because of white supremacy. And if we are not honest and do not learn, we can never work to become change agents of racial justice in our society. Yeah. And I, I know you and Lindsay have been uh, hammering on this for, for years. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it took America and us for a long time to even see it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I don't yeah. know what, what it was. It was like a perfect storm mm -hmm. yeah. to make everyone see yeah, with COVID and yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, it was to expose this all. And, and I hear a lot of people say, well, you want us to rewrite history? No, just acknowledge what is and what is true. Mm -hmm. And use that as a catalyst for change. Absolutely. Um, the truth will set you free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a cliche statement, but it's until we can acknowledge the whole truth, mm -hmm. I, I think that's where it starts. 
you bring up a really great point, um, like the the balance between acknowledging and not forgetting like our history, owning that truth, right? If we were to ask somebody who is not from the U.S., like, what is the idea about America? And they would say, like, oh, you have the biggest this or the best this or this, this, this. And I think that's the idea that we project. We project our best self. I think America is really great at pointing out everything that we are great at, even the things that we're not great at. We are saying we are the best at this. Like, education, we're, we're the best at it, even though we're, we're not. <laughs> you know, like, healthcare, we're the best at this, even though we're not. Like, we, we are better than a lot of other countries, but we're, we're not the best. I think we are always trying to promote ourselves and put ourselves a lot more higher than we are. Because throughout our short history in the, in the world, we have just jumped really high really fast. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that is due to slavery. If I were to say for folks who are trying to are struggling with that balance, I think that there is something with acknowledging that, you know, we don't have it all together and that's okay. White folks should not feel bad for being white, because that's not what I that's not anything that anybody wants. That white people should feel bad for being white. Is that, you know, if you feel bad, okay, what are you gonna do about, you know, to make this right? You know, I think that that's the next step. And I think that's what we need to do as a country. Like what, all right, like you weren't there in the beginning, but you're benefiting from this. How can you, what can we do moving forward to make this right? right. I think that's the, I think that's the part. Um, and it's not glorifying traitors. Um, it is legitimately putting those things in museums or not, like going to a museum and saying like, this is what America did. Um, right, like, tell that story. Yeah, tell that story. And it's possible to tell that story and to feel those feelings of like, this is really messed up. Like it, it really is messed up. And cause that's, that's the right feeling to have. It's ugly. It's disgusting. Like to the history of America, but it's not to be shied away from. It's yeah. to lean into that, but it's so hard. It's, it's really hard. It is hard. It's yeah. ongoing work. Mm -hmm. We need to give full voice to that, even though it's ugly, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's just like in any relationship. Exactly. To heal a relationship or a divide, that is what's necessary to mm -hmm. go forward in a healthy way. Yeah. And it's hard work, but it's worth it. Absolutely. Exhausting work. Exhausting yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. But we have to hold to that hope that it can be better. Mm -hmm. And it can. Absolutely. It can. Yeah. It's, it is a commitment, too. Like it is a, And that's why I've started to tell folks, like, during the last month and a half, two months, I'm so glad that you're starting to post and reading books and doing all this stuff. But when you, I want to see what happens, not, not in November, but I want to see what happens like March 17th of next year. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like we're like, it's a year out. We're not in the same place. It's whatever. Like, yeah. what are you doing at that point? You know, like, yeah. what if Trump gets reelected? What are you doing? You know, what are you doing in your local elections? What are you doing to ensure that education is changed? What are you doing in, in, in everyday spheres? What are you what are you saying when somebody says a racist comment at work or something like Action. that, you know? Because yeah. um, it, it really is exhausting. And, and these things, like, we got a lot of momentum now, but these things can go away. And so... Is that your fear, Jonathan? Do you have that fear, like, it'll go back to how it was? I'm not fearful. I think I am skeptical of everything that's happened in the last two months. Uh, I'm skeptical of 
corporations who put out these statements on Instagram and, and social okay. media. I'm skeptical of countries that are, are companies that are donating large amounts of money. I'm skeptical of people I see on Instagram and stuff like that, marching and stuff and whatnot, and posting about themselves with, with signs and whatnot. Right. I'm skeptical of, of all these hashtags, you know? Being a black person in America, I've seen all this stuff before. I've seen these waves, and then they just, yeah. they go away. Yeah. I, I'm waiting till when it's not fun, when it's not exciting, when it's not popular, when you're the only person in the room saying these things. Uh -huh. what, it, what happens then? What happens then? Um, yeah. Are you going to leave that space? Are you going to fight in that space? Or are you, what are you, what's going to happen there? Mm -hmm. That's, I'm just so skeptical right now. I think a lot of a lot of people that I've known that are doing that have been doing this work or you know have been aware they're really skeptical too yeah yeah it, it makes sense with the history that mm -hmm. you would be skeptical you're skeptical but you have hope yes, I, yes. it's a tight rope we to walk yeah. <laughs> it's a tight yeah. rope to walk yeah yeah, yeah. So. well it sounds like long term like what you said on March 17th like mm -hmm. a year from now you want to mm -hmm. see the impact the Two change years, years, the action yeah. that has taken place to move the dial in the right direction, if you will. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm skeptical also, but I have hope too. Yeah. I was going to say, what is, what do y'all, what do y'all think? What have you seen from your perspective? Like, wow, this is, does this feel different than any other time for y'all or? It, it does feel different from any other time. Um, so that does give me hope, but it's, it's a challenge. It, it's, I'm skeptical too. Mm-hmm but hopeful and want to be part of doing something different um, so yeah I think it feels different there's just something about it that feels different to me mm. maybe it's because I'm old, old getting old <laughs> I don't know. well I hope it's different I hope like like what you say, Jonathan, people are saying stuff but what's it, what is it going to be long term mm -hmm. I'll believe it in two years yeah you know after stuff has shifted mm -hmm. I hope it's a good shift I hope we make steps to heal the racial divide yeah I just what do you think about the American church Jonathan <laughs> or what do you not think about the American church like as far as you and Lindsay and ever going to church together or mm. with children or yeah. It's a loaded question, no, I know. No, I, it's, it's, it's fine. Oh, gosh. I think, and, and I don't know if I've ever explicitly said this to y'all. I've just been so burnt out from the church itself. Yeah. I, I don't know. Personally, I just don't know if I can go back. Like, I just don't know if I'll, I'll ever be able to go back. Right. I have, I'm still trying to work out so many faith pieces, um, and it's just been like real. It's been, it's been, it's been hard. But I just, I'm just trying to like, I don't even have like words to put to it. But um, I think me and Lindsay talked a good amount about what that's gonna look like when we have kids. Um, I know Linz eventually wants to go back. Uh, if I don't know if that's changed at all, but I just told her. I just told her I don't. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know. I think. When I did go to church, um, and when I was serving in church, I mean, I served in so many different capacities uh, throughout my time going to church, and and I, I legitimately loved going to church. I loved 
the Christian faith. I loved church. I loved the church big C. Um, and when like you, it was, it's just going back to that relationship thing. You're like, you love something so much. And in 2016, the church just like broke my heart. Like it just mm. broke my, broke my heart. And I don't know, mm. I don't know if like I will ever trust the church again. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to go into a space and say like, yeah, I want to be here. I don't know yeah. if I want to be, yeah. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. Because I've met atheists that have been more loving and humble and have literally given the shirts off their backs um, to people that are in need. I've met, you know, Muslims and, and Buddhists and all these different things that have done so much great work. And I, I look at the church and I'm like, where are y'all? <laughs> yeah. That's a Where, hard pill that, to yeah. swallow. That breaks my heart, too, that uh, the church has denied this. I've talked about denial before. Yeah. And, and uh, the church, uh, I hold them accountable for the fact that they've denied this divide, this racial divide for yeah. so long. Yeah. And not even denied it, too. Like, denied it, but also enabled it. Like, in denial, yeah. you're de- enabling, but... The fact of the matter is, white Christians were part of the establishment of racial hierarchy in the U.S. Even after the enslaved were emancipated, white Christians had the opportunity to deinstitutionalize and dismantle the racist system that they created. Instead, they provided moral standing for racism and white supremacy to persist and interweave itself further and deeper into our systems that we have even today. For further education on this, you can actually read The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. I know, another plug, but it's a really great book. It is a historical account of America's early colonial days through slavery and the Civil War, covering the tragedy of Jim Crow laws and the victories of the Civil Rights era to today's Black Lives Matter movement. Check that out for an insightful look at the American church throughout U.S. history. Again, not a sponsored ad. I just want y'all to know history. Spaces and predominantly white spaces. That's a majority of where I've, I've spent my Christian life. But um, when I would read a scripture or when I would hear a song, I'm experiencing that song completely different mm. than like a white person. Mm-hmm. So when 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 they talk about a scripture of like setting the captives free, you know, like that means something completely different for me than it does for a white person. Because um, yes. I feel like a white person has to set, put their minds in like, well, like, well, I, have I ever been captive? Like, what are the things that are holding me captive? And all these different things, um, you know. But I think I know people that have gone to jail. I know people that are in jail. I know people that have been experienced police brutality. I know um, the education system. I know what it's been like to be in poverty and really feel like this is like um, you are locked up and. I know that that's not every black person's experience, and every person is going to experience um, scripture and a worship song differently. But when I hear specific words like that, like setting the captives free, like phrases like that, I'm like, I don't know if everybody is really understanding or this is like clicking that I'm seeing these words and what this actually means when I sing these words. Yeah, it's so um, different for you. Well, what was the impetus in 2016? You said the church broke your heart. Oh, Trump being elected, eighty some odd percent. Yes, white evangelicals. I know, and that just is like. I feel the church is responsible for just painting everything. Nice. Yeah. And, yeah, Yeah. I don't even. I can't even put all the words to it. Um, And I know there's a wide variety of reasons why. Like I've heard the the 
um, judges getting appointed, those kinds of things. What I'm referring to more specifically, the people that made excuses for Trump, like I think that were saying that God chose him, that just like labeled these things that he definitely wasn't. Like he definitely, he's, but he's not a good person. And I don't think I knew that prior to 2016, but I think over the course of four years, we all know that um, he's just like not a good person at all. Uh, yeah, it, it's heavy stuff. It is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about one thing that we are hopeful for moving forward. Yeah. So, Shelly, what is one thing that you're hopeful for moving forward or you have faith in? Um, that Trump won't get reelected. <laughs> <laughs> is that, am I allowed to say yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. What else? What do you have? Well, I'm trying to stay away from uh, politics, um, but um, my sincere hope is that um, the outside superficial plaster Paris will fall off and everyone will, will see the, uh, the true inside, the heart of, of people, mm. uh, whether they're black or white or, or mm. anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And not so. the color blindness, like the actual true relationship, yeah. real world, right. yes. all that stuff. I yes. Love it. No, I, love I hope it. for that too. I hope for engagement in true, real conversation and that people of color, black people, indigenous people, their voices will be elevated. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Well, keep sharing the podcast, you know, like maybe that yeah. will inspire right. folks to do that. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being willing to talk and share. I know this is like, I don't know. This can be uncomfortable, just me asking you questions like this, but um, this was so fun, so thank you so much for doing that. Thank you, Jonathan. We loved it. And there y'all go, Shelly and Richard. They are great. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about them most is their willingness to learn, to know, and to love. I have felt all three of those things from the moment I met them, and I think they have led to dialogues like this. Conversations like these are encouraging for so many reasons, but I think the one thing that sticks out the most to me is the change in perspectives. They are all in on being allies now and want to make sure that everybody knows that it is more important to be anti-racist and not just not racist. We have to get rid of this notion that once you hit a certain age, that it is impossible for you to emotionally connect, feel, or even change your perspectives. Your IQ might have a cap, but your emotional intelligence, your EQ is infinite. That means we are more than capable, all of us, of real human connection that leads to a dramatic change of perspective. This episode is dedicated to my grandma, Millie. You are an incredible woman, an inspiration, and a prayer warrior. I love you deeply. I will miss you and have been missing you ever since past and gone to glory. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas, with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't already, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Reach out to me on Instagram. Would love, love, love to hear from you. It's RTWD Podcast. That's RTWD Podcast on Instagram. Till next time, y'all. Peace.